yesterday I was at work as I want to do and uh, <laughs> I had the right for some. the back room to myself uh, everyone else was off and I thought I know I can listen to soundtracks all day and pre- prepare for this episode mm. and what I did was listen to the re- to the Return of the King complete recording okay which is about three hours long right um, and it gave you about 70 people the opportunity to come in at all the, the most dramatic operatic <laughs> moments and sort of wonder what I was listening to and um <laughs> Some guy going for coffee. Da, yeah. da, 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 da. Well, I had um, I had you know strangers, delivery men come in um, for every Mordor scene, and 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 say things like, "Well, this is dramatic, isn't it?" Didn't, didn't, didn't realize you were a fucking wanker. Wait, you were playing it out loud. And playing it out loud. Oh, in right. the back room, <laughs> not around t- public. And um, might be good. But then somebody came in. I forget which bit it was, but I think it was a during a recognizable light motif. Yeah. And she stopped and went, this is like a cross between The Hobbit and Dances with Wolves. <laughs> and I went, actually, do you know what? That pro- pretty much is what Lord of the Rings is, isn't it? It's what you get when you take Dances with Wolves and The Hobbit films <laughs> and smush them together like a big pair of buttocks. <laughs> I like the idea you'd be blaring it out loud and the public would hear and someone would just be like, oh, the Gondor theme. Fantastic. Oh, anyway, excuse me. Do you have any books on dealing with suicidal thoughts? <laughs> No, but we do have Mein Kampf, so... Thing, the podcast that can't tell a gymnopodie from a nocien. I'm Paul Sati. I just won't get out of your head. <laughs> oh, get him out of there! No. The only way to get him out is to listen to all of him. You have to it's all light life. an orange scented candle <laughs> and wait until you see my little hand poking out. <laughs> then you grab me. You hold a watch over your stomach and if it goes round and round, then uh, you forget the song. <laughs> Today we shall be discussing film scores. Those pesky little <laughs> whirs and beeps you hear when you're trying to understand Bruce Willis. His deeds and his wants. His face. His existence. His purpose. His ridiculous fucking face. Film scores are part of a film's soundtrack, and the two are often mistaken for each other, making film scores a synecdoche of film soundtracks. I don't know. I didn't go to grammar school. I wouldn't let you in. They wouldn't let me in. They stopped me at the gate. Like, hang on a minute. You're obviously a twat. Oh, they caught me again. <laughs> Mum said it would work. Semantics. It's not semantics. That's why you're not coming in. <laughs> That's the kind of shit that's got you <laughs> excluded from this place. Going around calling everything semantics. It's wrong anyway. Uh, the soundtrack is everything you hear in a film. Dialogue and all. Whilst the film score is the original music written specifically for the film. It doesn't include pre-existing pieces that have been slapped in there like an addock in the cod pile. They won't know the difference, father. Nor does it include songs, usually. So you'll get nout talk of musicals in these parts. <laughs> Northern Dad's back. <laughs> And he means business. He means film business. Fuck off with your musicals. Sound up music. <laughs> Piss more like. What about original songs written expressly for the film? Mm. Well, Wikipedia did expressly forbid this. But... Oh, okay, well, if Wikipedia says it. If, Wik- if Rickypedia says it, then... <laughs> I don't trust Wikipedia. There's something about him <laughs> and his ways. He changed his name by Deedpol. He changes <laughs> his name to Rickypedia. <laughs> Just caught in controversy. <laughs> What's that about Courtney controversy? <laughs> Look, enough. Less about her, the better. All right. You don't mention her in the same breath as Wikipedia for a reason. <laughs> because it's too, too upsetting. Together. It's too upsetting an idea and a thought. Okay. Yes. So we're not going to talk about musicals. We'll do top 10 musicals next year. So 
Get watching Step Up All In. Start now. By next year, you should have grasped its um, heady themes and melodies. (laughs) Catchy beats. And the catchy beats. I'm sorry, did you want me? No caffy beats. This is a nightmare. I need to stop having so many unfortunately named people around whilst (laughs) I try to podcast. Caffy beats is the uh, South African caffy beats. (laughs) Caffy beats. (laughs) Also played by Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) Also, as is caffy beats. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Even though playing a Rhodesian. Oh, semantics. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of school, Paul. <laughs> I see you. This is still school property you're on. My living room. Back to soundtrack school where you've clearly shown yourself to be superior. Come on. <laughs> Come on. And take Wikipedia with you. <laughs> we are going to talk about the form. What it means to us as Pauls. Mm. The validity of writing music for the poxy pictures. What a good score should be. Seen and not heard. I don't know. I didn't go to school. And we shall give you our top 10 favourites, but only after we've discredited the entire endeavour. Great. So, Paul, you E minor. Uh, <laughs> yeah, spot on. Great. Film scores. Do you like them? Yeah. Oh. Da, da, da. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. <laughs> Love them, mate. Makes me really want to go to the lobby. <laughs> Watching as many films as, as we watch is pretty important to have a catchy film score that goes round and round in your head. Yeah. Like uh, like in Seeing Double, the S Club 7 movie, Seeing Double. <laughs> Look, there's a reason that I haven't thought about the imitation game until I said it just there. And that reason is, it didn't have the Batman soundtrack in it. <laughs> <laughs> of course I like them. They're great. Some aren't great, like in every genre. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's plenty of shit out there. Yeah. There's a lot of borrowing. That, there's a lot of borrowing uh, going Jim, on. Jim Jamush proud. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> There's a lot of ripping each other off. There's a lot of unimaginative mm. stuff, some of which we'll get to later. But um, yeah, yeah, I think it's worth pointing out that we both have quite strong connection to film music beyond the films they belong to often. It's my favorite thing to listen to whilst I'm wandering around the place or just doing anything else. I love to have a film soundtrack on the we- on the go. It's my probably my favorite way of taking in classical music. Or via the medium of film or <laughs> walking around and yeah, yeah that and doing things. Oh, okay. I listen to a lot of classic FM, but whenever I'm not listening to classic FM and want to actually choose the music I want to listen to, it will often be film soundtracks I go for. It's re- it's really good writing music. Mm. I tend to write to to film soundtracks. And in the case of uh, Hans Zimmer, it's both of our make-out music. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Jesus Christ, does that add pressure to things? <laughs> Did you finish? Yeah. No? Oh, wait for the next. <laughs> oh, there it was. Fuck. Damn. I need you to finish on a bois next time. But also, they're just very v- vivid mm. memories. That sure. the sort of symbiote, the symbiosis, the partnership of movies and movie soundtracks, mm. and it sort of provides easy access for me. I think <clears throat> yeah. to particular emotions or, or scenes from movies. Mm. Yes, it can. There are particular tracks that will have me tearing up mm. as soon as they come on, mm. or will fill me with excitement because I know what's happening in the movie. Okay, let's have a bit of guided discussion on film soundtracks. Discussion point one. Should you use them? Most score composers get involved very late in the process, during or after editing is finished. There are some exceptions where directors have composers work on music during the shoot so that they can plan the scene around the music, and some rare occasions where composers are involved from the storyboard level, or scripting, many of which we shall discuss in our top tens, because that tends to yield really good results. Yet, a good number of big directors, and a big number of good directors, refuse to use them at all. Tarantino, Kubrick, and even Lanthimos will tend to use pre-existing music, and in the case of Tarantino, other film scores. And in almost all cases, it seems to be because 
the filmmakers want the music to be around as they are creating. You know, Tarantino mm. listens to a lot of music as he writes, and so the pieces become part of the writing. Um, and Edgar Wright does the same thing, too. And Kubrick uses classical pieces whilst editing and had a nasty habit. He had a rather nasty habit of hiring film composers and then just not using their work in the final edit and using <laughs> classical pieces instead. I would also right. sometimes just forget to mention that to the aforementioned artist until they showed up at the premiere. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Will Smith never got over that. Did I write this? God, I'm brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to it. Dun, dun. Oh, it doesn't sound like me, but I guess I'm fantastic. I mean, I rapped wiggly, 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 but <laughs> he's managed to make... It actually, when you listen when you listen back to it, actually, it sounds like the Space Arthur <laughs> Hey, yo, uh-huh. Da, da. <laughs> Big Willis style. <laughs> it's in there. You just listen if you listen. <laughs> if you really watch 2001, <laughs> I think you'll find that was what Nolan's unrestored cut was. <laughs> I think this really restores Cubic's vision to the big screen for generations <laughs> to discover in you. Ha ha! You know it. <laughs> Everyone. I don't listen to rap. No, not do I. But yeah, um, and others are keen to point out that some of the more profound movie moments in film don't use no bloody soundtrack at all. Oh, what? Yeah, so what you got to say to that, young Pons? I, I say go back go out to Russia, comrade. <laughs> you know, when when does extremism ever, ever help anyone? Empirically, there are moments that are heightened by music and, and moments that are heightened without it. And yeah. there are moments, usually Michael Bay, where you just <laughs> think, I just just want silence yeah just once in this fucking film it's true that silence is underappreciated i think yes um yes yeah true in in a way it's just another tool to to enhance a, mo- a movie it is and yeah. it's like using cgi properly it's just you've got to know when to use it there's an underappreciation of just how robust a good soundtrack can be i found a fantastic page at robinhoffman.com that lists oh, the yeah. various ways that movie music can be used which includes commenting on the action illustrating movement portraying emotion connecting scenes together implying a sense of time or space parody and more well as as you were saying that uh, previous point i was thinking about uh, music in a film as a character mm. I, th- I think what music should do is add tone or a music or, yeah. or a mood or it guides a scene just like a, a character would mm. if it's there just just thrown in as backing mm. you know a, a pop tune or something then i guess you could argue that it's there just to help set the mood and to show the audience what they should be feeling yeah. and not even just minimalist stuff mm. but even the most bombastic stuff that we're going to talk about yeah are, are characters in their own right they convey emotions and communicate yeah they do uh, parts of the story absolutely discussion point two oh. Our film scores proper music. Some regard film scores as the defining genre of classical music in the 20th and 21st century. It is Mm. certainly, inarguably, the most popular and widely consumed classical music of the 20th and 21st Mm. century. What's that, Elliot Carter? Nothing? (laughs) Yeah, I thought so. But is it any good, though? Well, according to quite a lot, no. Oh. There are those who argue that film music is derivative and will never enter into the canon of Western classical music. (laughs) That's the gate being locked shut. (laughs) Along with Brahms and shits. Uh. Some classical music um, scores have, um, but largely those are the ones written by pre-established composers who were just slumming it in mm. film. Like Prokofiev uh, okay. and his terrifying score to Alexander Nevsky, which was so amazing it gave birth to Danny Elfman. <laughs>
do you think? Do you think... And Oingo Boingo. <laughs> and Oingo Boingo. It, it, re- it rested him from Oingo Boingo. <laughs> he heard that and he was like, I don't like little girls. I like <laughs> film music. Batman. <laughs> Batman. <laughs> <laughs> So, what do you think? Are film scores completely worthless or just mostly? Uh, well, that to me sounds like gatekeeping. Yeah, yeah. it's pretentious nonsense. It's, it's sour, sour grapes. I don't. Oh, yeah. I say. No, I don't like to use the word pretentious, but <laughs> but it's it's it's. But those pretentious twats. <laughs> no, a film score here at the Royal Academy of Music. <laughs> I've heard arguments against film music in the past, such as it's not proper music; it's just ambience and environment and atmosphere. Right, and. That person is dead now. Um, <laughs> I ate them. Un- un- unrelated. They they <laughs> they fucked themselves to death. <laughs> they just love Idiot. fucking crocodiles. <laughs> like, literally. It's all they can Idiot. do. And it got the better of them uh, one day. Much to everyone's surprise. <laughs> it's a lesson for the rest of us. Brave pioneer. Yeah, in moderation. That's pretty dull for a lot of reasons. It'd be pretty strange to assume that regular music yeah. doesn't encapsulate ambient and atmospheric yeah, sure. minimalist um just just textured music yeah. i heard a fucking epic poem set to an industrial soundtrack about a serial killer <laughs> last week and it, it was 12 minutes long and it's mostly just banging a drum and screaming <laughs> and that's music that was just my and, dad you know, <laughs> but i've recorded him now and he's spotify's trending pop smasher <laughs> Pop, that's no, the galling thing. <laughs> Better than Katy Perry, they said. It's logically consistent, but it's not. I'm not comparing the two it's, to say that you know modern art isn't art because it's just a, a squiggly line. Sure, it's just really ignoring the mm. definition of music. It's having a very fixed set of expectations, which isn't allowing much new or interesting work to mm. be done. Yeah. I, I thought about operas in relation to this, and it's like, well, they're narratives. Why aren't they looked down upon yeah. in the same way? And I think it might be because, generally speaking, in classical Western music, the person who writes the opera or adapts the story to an mm. opera is also the person writing the music. So maybe that's why people are snobby. Yeah. It's because it's like these filmmakers aren't creating their own story. They're just... Mm. you know accompanying another one i think it's because people are naturally hip- hypocrites and we're very <laughs> we're very bad at going back on our intuition yeah i mean it is the case that film music started off uh, cynically it was mm. um originally a method of uh covering the sound of the projector you should have a piano guy wonderful so that, um, people couldn't hear the projector and it just so happened great. that it also created incredible depth to the images that's know, amazing purely by accident that's like new line cinema saying no three lord of the rings movies will make us more money <laughs> yeah exactly it's the wrong reason to do a really good thing <laughs> yeah Cyn- cynical beginnings much of the work that classical composers did was mm. patronized sure. you know com- commissioned by people and sometimes they wrote for me very bland <laughs> music yeah, you know wrote music um, they didn't believe in so they could have money to do the thing they did you know it's nothing yeah, new in it, that respect exactly it's just it's just modern and people have an issue with a new thing sometimes sure. I think. I think so. The the music that I cry to, mm. or rather the music that makes me cry, not the music that I put on when I feel like crying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Friday again. Friday cry day. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the most rousing stuff. Mm. Yes, some of it is classical music. Mm. Quite a lot of it is film music. Sure. All right. We've agreed that film music can, under some extreme circumstances, be considered good. Yeah, take that. <laughs> Discussion point, last one. What makes a good score? Now... Ben Walsh of The Independent mourns the days, I know, he mourns the days, oh, why, oh, why? (laughs) He he mourns the days of leaving the cinema, humming the soundtrack to the film he just ruined. And Tony Zhao... (laughs) Sorry, I forgot I wrote that joke. It took me by surprise. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Tony Zhao, in his very last Every Frame of Painting video, illustrated the lack of memorable music in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by having... Mm 
punters try to hum parts of it. Yeah. So why is film music rubbish now, Paul? Obviously, the first thing to do would be to blame the feminists. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've gone down my but... list of hate. Feminists are on top. Um, is- Islam's is next. <laughs> Muslamics. <laughs> um, the thing is, there are diff- different needs. Yeah. It serves different purposes. Yeah. Like all music does, like quite a lot of things do in this world. Yeah. Quite, quite a lot of things are multifaceted and you really do have to keep up nowadays. Yeah. There's a lot going on. <laughs> there are some scenes where you don't want to distract from what's going on. If I think of, say, a huge planet-destroying scene in The Avengers, yeah. then it's it's almost another sound effect along with the crashing and the yeah, it blends the it. zapping and the oiglaven. Yeah. You don't need to have something memorable come away with it if you've got... If the re- yeah, if it's not meant the, to be... The, the film, if you've got other parts of the film. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we'll have a discussion in a moment about yeah, how memorable the soundtrack should be, but I think that what they're both identifying in their arguments is the current unpopularity of the leitmotif or theme. You know, the little hummable... Mm. I had to go hum something and all I could think of was something from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Take that, Tony, Tony <laughs> Chow. All I could think of was... Da, 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 the Captain America theme. Anyway, it, it does seem that modern soundtrack artists and directors are trying less to invent distinctive themes and try instead to create mm. a more immersive atmosphere. And I'd be very yes. interested to go up to those same people in Vancouver who couldn't harm the Avengers and play a bit of this. <laughs> yes. And see how many go, oh, that sounds like Bourne. It sounds like one of those Bourne mm. movies because it's very mm. distinct. It's very distinct, the sounds they're creating, and it invokes the world. I was thinking mm. about Thomas Newman's Skyfall soundtrack. And that, to me, bespeaks espionage in a high-tech setting to the point where when I heard something mm. similar in Hitman, I thought, oh, yeah, espionage. Mm. But I couldn't hum it. That's interesting. You know, you, you also can't hum a lot of ambient noise. Yeah that is used in a lot of cinema as well. Mm. You, you know, ho- horror movies that have very, very effective soundtracks, but oh. are just... Yeah. Well, exactly. Or thrillers that are just kind of, you know... Yeah. But so mm. many of those themes were just created by John Williams, and John Williams himself has moved past this. He doesn't create sort of little themes and motifs anymore, and he's more likely to sort of keep rewriting mm. the same sort of soundtrack he did for Saving Private Ryan again and again. <laughs> Hmm. which is my own personal bugbear, but um, he's moved away from the sort of incredibly memorable but rather stilted little themes. Are we all sort of willfully forgetting together that not every soundtrack from the past had leitmotifs sure. and huge memorable moments? Yeah. We're only thinking of the best film, yeah, by their films. Yeah, by their very nature, only, again, those are the ones that have yeah, endured. Exactly. Hmm. You're only going to remember the memorable soundtracks. Yeah. So There's bias there. Yeah. Well, Zhao is keen to put this down to the use of temp music, which is when filmmakers place a piece of pre-existing music into their soundtrack whilst they're preparing filming or editing the sequence just as a place filler but then they become attached to it so when they ask the composer to come in they just say just do that replicate it make it a little bit different but just make it the same and that as a result makes music more bland through emulation Mm. is his accusation and if that is a problem i'm not terribly sure it is but if it is then maybe the better solution because i think there'll always be hacks (laughs) there'll always be Mm. people who aren't interested in doing original work who will just say copy that you know Mm. but there will also be revolutionaries who want to use soundtracks in interesting and bold new ways and if it's important for to composers to have that then try and seek out those people yeah um if you are someone like danny elfman who has the sort of pick of projects as i assume he does failing that just try to get the composer in as early as possible you know christopher nolan got Hans zimmer to compose a piece of music for a father and a son 
long before he revealed that it was due to be part of his epic space movie. So, you know, he hmm. and it, he had him sort of coming up with ideas based on his ideas, who would then feed back music, which would inform further ideas and then become this sort of awesome hmm. feedback loop where they just keep focusing in on whatever it is that's most stimulating about each other's ideas. But it would be crazy to think that every sure. movie works that way, that there was that kind of relationship. So well, well, that there, there, there must be. be so many composers yeah. where you go into certain films and you think, this isn't going to be the kind of movie where I'm going to make my own. Yeah. This, this isn't going to be my baby. This is just what the director wants. Mm. Unless somebody can show me otherwise, I'm really not sure that that's something that's changed Yeah, over, over the course of history yeah i'm sure it's always been the case maybe not specifically with temp music and the sort of because the way that yeah. films are edited are, has changed but there are plenty of movies from the 80s that sound like star wars mm. there are plenty of roger corman style you know <laughs> sci-fi movies that just nicked the star trek soundtracks look at fucking reanimator which stole bernard herman's soundtrack to um psycho <laughs> like 1980 whatever mm. my last part of this last point discussion point is that there is this also this argument that we've touched upon a couple of times about how prominent or noticeable a soundtrack should be should it just be the background or should it stand out and take control of your emotions and i always think to illustrate this of the soundtracks of alexander display you've mm. you've heard his music he scores a lot of really big movies he's been nominated for the academy award for best soundtrack eight times and won twice for grand budapest hotel and the shape mm. of water but i imagine even as i said those you'd struggle to remember the music from them It's tough to imagine thousands of people showing up to a concert of his work. And that's because even though he's a fabulously and incredibly talented film composer, his tracks blend perfectly into the films and inconspicuously Mm. into the films that he has scored. They don't announce themselves like a certain fellow we shall be discussing later. Now, is that the way things that really ought to go? Displatterly? Well, (laughs) of splat. (laughs) Do you um, splat? They can do. Yeah. They can also not do, I think. <laughs> oh. Whatever works, you know. Mm. I don't want this to sound like a cop-out answer and, and sure. the middle ground, but mm. there's no extreme answer to this. Yeah. It, it does what it needs to do if if it, if it works for the film to have a, look at a, a character in its own right yeah. as the soundtrack with leitmotifs and yeah. that's going to stick in your head for, for years after, or if it's just going to... If it's just a fabulously expert <laughs> accompaniment to a film yeah. that has a lot of technical brilliance, even if it isn't showy, yeah. just as good. It all really depends on the needs of the the needs of the film. I think that's right. And I think that's what's important is what you need to be identifying is when is the soundtrack not following that need. It's like we were saying earlier about films can never be too long. I don't think a soundtrack can be too look at me, you know, or too yeah. subtle because if it's working right, if it's what the film mm. needs then it'll be perfect. And if it's not doing what the film needs it to do, then it's not perfect. I, yeah. Every so often, I am taken out of a film when I try it, when I suddenly realise who the composer is. And it's like, oh, hang on a minute, this is Zimmer. I can tell. Like, mm. I think we had that, we both had that during um, 12 Years a Slave. It was the boat mm. sequence where they're being shipped 
for the first time. He's just been kidnapped and it's awful. And suddenly we're like, this is Zimmer, isn't it? It's so weird. Mm. You can tell it's Zimmer. And yeah. we had it again in Captain Phillips near the end where it's that, the very yeah, end. that yeah. incredible sequence with Tom Hanks. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, and we're just suddenly like, yeah. this sounds a lot like time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the the most emotional part and a genuinely heartbreaking moment yeah. in the film. And we were thinking, and then you spend time? half of it going, sure, this is Hans Zimmer. Yeah. yeah. And that would argue, uh, you could argue there that maybe Zimmer showed his hand too much, especially by mimicking one mm. of his best soundtracks ever. But yeah. you, again, you don't know if the director just said, oh, I liked, you, I liked it when you did that time thing. Can you do that again? Yeah. I liked it when you did the thin red line. Do that again. How would, yeah, how far can you change it before the director goes, this isn't that now? <laughs> exactly. I think the director ultimately has to be blamed to blame if a soundtrack isn't doing its yeah. job properly because it's their job to mm. try and guide it. And if the soundtrack guy's not doing a good job, it's the director's job to say, eh, we'll get someone else. Yeah. If Hans Zimmer suddenly put in There Ain't No Black in the Union Jack, <laughs> it really is Paul Greengrass's decision <laughs> to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't know if it ever worked together. <laughs> yeah, Captain Phillips. He did. Put, that was Paul Greengrass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. Well, there we go. Well, there you go I then. Was, I was right without even... Well, there you go. Point <laughs> There you go. Film scores are great. End of discussion. QED. List time. We are now going to list our top 10 favourite movie soundtracks of all sodding time. What? Yeah. Oh, shit. Uh, um. Oh, fuck. Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> now, the biggest challenge I found in, compo- in composing this list uh, was finding albums that had more than just one track that I really love. There were yeah. so many great soundtracks that got removed from this list just because I really yeah. fucking love that the main piece but couldn't justify the rest of the album. Yeah, exactly. We needed well-rounded so albums here. The 10 things, the 20 um, soundtracks odd mm. that you're about to hear are really great soundtrack albums that could be listened to away from their films, I think, is what we've gone yeah. for. We've gone for the best of movie soundtracks, movie scores, rather, that you can just listen to. Okay, let's have some honorable mentions. So first of all, Suspiria, both <laughs> Suspirious. Um, I love the Goblin soundtrack. It's iconic. It's really inventive. It's very cool. It's very telling of its time. But I really fucking love the new one. By um, Nick Park. I'm York. <laughs> That's genuinely what I thought. <laughs> Tom York, yes. From York. Close. Um, gorgeous. Just really stunning. Fantastic songs in there, but also really great ambient music as well. Um, yeah. And just whilst we're on Radiohead, I also want to mention Johnny Greenwood. And um, I would have included yeah. The Master, if anything, because I love those those tracks. Mm. They're weirdly haunting and very memorable. <laughs> For me, there were two that had, frankly, outstanding main themes mm. and variations on that. Yeah. Um, but when I checked out the soundtracks, they're about 15 minutes long with non-original music <laughs> in between. Right. First was The Godfather, Nina Rota. Oh, yes. more easily recognizable themes oh yeah in the world absolutely and then also eternal sunshine of the spotless minds ah. by john bryan a beautiful um, piece a beautiful theme just some of the most pleasantly simply mm. beautiful pieces um, out there in cinema but yeah. there's maybe th- four or five tracks on the soundtrack and the, re- the rest is non-original stuff by beck and so on yeah 
and <laughs> which, is, which is a shame because it's fantastic. It really is. Um, John Carpenter is a genius, um, and I really like the fact that he started yeah, working I again. John Carpenter. Yeah, he's fantastic. His soundtracks for The Fog, I really love. Yeah, Halloween obviously is fantastic. Um, yeah, and Assault on Precinct Thirteen, 13. <laughs> that fucking excellent yeah. track that he uses. And I really love his soundtrack to the modern Halloween. forward to us watching that hmm. uh next year so that you can you can experience that because it's really good i will i promise <laughs> 28 days later for me fantastic oh, soundtrack beautiful especially in the house in a heartbeat that's john murphy isn't um it? yeah john murphy yeah. yeah italian horror um has yeah. had some fantastic soundtracks especially in the 60s and 70s uh goblin i've already mentioned a fantastic they also did the music to deep red Fondo Rosso, which I really love. And you've got yeah. Fabio Fritzi. Who's brilliant. And Ritz Ortolani, who did this for Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> fantastic right. scores there and also some just hugely memorable catchy mm. themes harry potter oh yeah the main theme is incredible mm. avengers infinity war They really, when they really lean into it in, yeah. the, in the new one, I've just adored. I listen to the soundtrack and it's pretty much the same thing over and over <laughs> and over again. Yeah. Just different variations on ba 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 ba. <laughs> I mean, the original Avengers soundtrack was similar to that, I remember. But just really mm. wonderful, rousing, memorable stuff. <laughs> so, um... Speaking of great themes, How to Train Your Dragon is a whole bunch uh, by John Powell. The music person of Face Off. And yeah, that's good stuff. How to Train Your Dragon has some of the best um, soundtrack moments in it. I really love them. And also, just quickly lumping a couple together, Whiffnail and I is a similar thing that has a main theme I adore, but then not much else to it.
Um, sorry, I just got a text from my mum uh-huh. to say I'm I'm listening to one of your podcasts. What's your problem with Tim Allen? <laughs> <laughs> What's your problem, son? <laughs> Thanks, mum. Okay. Anyway, my last one is, is Lawrence of Arabia. Maurice Jarre. Okay. A wonderful epic with an overture and interludes. Um, it's just so grand, I think. Mm. And again, unfortunately, just pipped at the post. Fair enough. Um, by modern ones. <laughs> by the moderners. There's a lot of modern soundtracks in our list, which I think is a good thing. It'll put pay to the idea that, um, you know, film, t- yeah. film scores ain't no good anymore, says Telegraph Twat. <laughs> I've got Joe yeah. Yong Wook, who does the music to Park oh, Chan Wook's yeah. films fucking stunning music old boy one of my favorite is my favorite film and has a fantastic soundtrack throughout the handmaiden the same especially my suki Masterpiece. Yeah. And then Michael Giacchino. There's no work of his. Mm-hmm. I'm really fond of his, particularly his soundtrack to Mission Impossible 3. Which I started listening to because I had to sample it for our um, Bex, Bex X vs. Ballistics X vs. Sever episode. Yeah. Bex X vs. X. <laughs> Stupid. Good film. enough. Everyone knows. By Chaos. And that's fantastic. Star Trek. brilliant and I particularly like his soundtrack to War for the Planet of the Apes which is brilliant mm, cool. then we get into real sacrilege no Bernard Herrmann I love his soundtracks mm-hmm. to North by Northwest and Vertigo <laughs> shockingly at all of all lightly touched upon earlier by Monsieur Goodman with his Harry Potter comment there shall be no John Williams here no we I'm very so fond of his fuck off <laughs> I was in a cinema that play was playing um music soundtracks and uh, movie soundtrack and suddenly E.T. comes on mm. and it's da 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 oh yeah I remember this da 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 and it plays the rest of the theme mm. then there's a pause and then, da, 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 da. and it's just the same bit. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you can hum it, but that does not a full soundtrack make. And I'm very aware that he was responsible for much of what modern soundtracks, you know, sound like, largely yeah. by ripping off Gustav Holst, but also just um, mm. he invented boring. so much boring, of course. And Star Wars is a fantastic soundtrack, but for some reason, yeah. and I was listening to the soundtracks for Star Wars, they just didn't grab me in the way that this top ten does. There just wasn't mm. 
enough in there. It was really strange. And it's not even that you need a good film to go with it. Yeah. As as will be evidenced <laughs> in at least one of our top tens. Yes. Finally, I would just say It Follows by Disaster Piece, which is an excellent piece of music. The Equal of Carpenter, um, a really thoroughly excellent work. A disaster piece of done excellent work in video games. It's uh, mm-hmm. They're a really interesting act. I don't know if it's more than one person. Um, right. So let's get into our actual top tens. My number 10 is American Beauty by Thomas Newman. A rich percussion-heavy soundtrack that mainly consists of weird drums and plucking instruments that you couldn't even spell if you tried. Bongos! Madness. Uh, it's an unconventional soundtrack that has a sort of tribal quality to it, emphasising that mm. what we're seeing on screen is the human animal, and it slightly parodies the incredibly sanitised hab- habitats that they've trapped themselves in. That's especially true of Dead Already, which is the track you've been hearing. It's playful, it's gently mocking its unhappy protagonists. Mr. Smarty Man is also great for that. Listen to that xylophone. But then we have the various scores that accompany Lester's dreams and fantasies. Uh, gorgeous little pieces of minimalism like A Rose or um, Choking the Bishop. I just got the ambiguity in A Rose. That's very good. Well done, <laughs> Thomas Newman, because it's <laughs> roses. No, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but also his penis. Gosh. All of which bespeak the fantasy of the situation, but also the absurdity of his fantasies. Yeah. Um, this is not going to be the road of redemption the road to redemption for Lester Burnham. He's going to have to find another way. And I feel like the score does make value judgments on, on which philosophies and revelations experienced by the characters in the film are valid. Because the mm. utterly terrible piece of advice that um, the wife gets from The King is accompanied by the track Lunch with the King. A very busy and cluttered piece of music that sounds inspirational, but there's a lack of heart to it. Um, compared to the real revelations later. I think a lot of American Beauty the film makes more sense when you remember that it was originally developed as a murder mystery. And some tracks are definitely creepily implying that the characters might have an ulterior motive, like structure and discipline, which is full of menace. One creepy aspect that's definitely still there, even in the finished version, is that Kevin Spacey spends the entire film lusting over an underage girl. Not Lester Burnham, Kevin Spacey. It was never in the script, he (laughs) improvised it. But Newman... But Newman noticed this, and wrote a really upsetting motif that recurs throughout, and is at its most profound in Angela Andress. one of the best scores from all ambiguity that was ever written the best track i think is any other name the theme occurs elsewhere in the album like in the titular track but any other name is a 
devastatingly pure piece of film music. It was actually my introduction to the film and to the soundtrack, which I'll talk a bit more about later with a different entry. It's delicate and ethereal and really powerful. Cool. Well, my number 10 is the first example of liking the soundtrack and not particularly liking the film. Yeah. Feeling ambivalent towards the film. Mm. It's going to be difficult to talk about it in relation to the film and more about my own, in- my own experiences, uh-huh. which no one likes. Mm. Number 10 is Tron Legacy by Daft Punk. love about this is the attempt to go for something as grand as uh, orchestral piece the sort of hallmark daft punk electronic sound they've got what can only be called orchestral electronic orchestral electro i don't know it's grand and it's rich and they've they've combined the two perfectly this is this is one of those soundtracks that i write to quite often mm. have uh, memories of beginning writing at six o'clock in the morning with a fantastic overture which uh, lays out the main theme uh, which will have several variations on as you go throughout the soundtrack it's similar to listening to uh, Ravel's Daphne say Chloe because I talked earlier about you know the troubles of sticking with uh, one main theme and just doing variations on it they've twisted it and pushed it in all these wonderful ways they've also managed to write the perfect orchestral soundtrack for Tron right that is a sort of video game essentially yeah and they've ma- they've managed to blend it and it really does as, as as little as i thought of the film well that's not fair i thought the film was middling mm. but it it's it suits it perfectly it really does if we were talking about my sa- my favorite track it's mm. it's difficult because you do have the overture and the grid which is fucking incredible piece yeah. i kept dreaming of a world i thought i'd never see and then one day i got in it starts with jeff bridges um husky tones yeah and then it kicks into a synth version of the main theme yeah uh, and then you have a daggio for tron which is yeah. just beautiful and nocturne god it just it's also great but really the end titles are my favorite Yeah, it's just really such great. driving piece of music. Yeah, it's such a good end to it. It is. It's so sublime. I, I really love that soundtrack. And I remember after seeing it, trying to find out who the other composer was because I couldn't believe that Daft Punk had been responsible for the beautiful classical pieces <laughs> in it. So I thought, okay, yeah. there'll be a there'll be a proper composer. Then Daft Punk would yeah. have done the poppy electronic bits. But no, it seems to have been entirely them. Um, but it's also irritating that it seems that the director didn't use the whole soundtrack in the movie because mm. there's a fantastic track called Solar Sailor, um, which yeah. is obviously meant to be used in the, in the Solar Sailor bit where Flynn and Olivia Wilde are getting closer. And the track is horny as fuck. That's definitely, that's definitely the track you listen to when you're trying to get closer to Olivia Wilde. But it yeah. doesn't get used. It's some other bland piece of shit. But yeah, it became a really big deal for me in my in the early 10s. Okay, now, for number nine, there were many, many fabulous anime soundtracks that I could list here. Ghost in the Shell has a haunting soundtrack by Kenji Kawaii. Oh, Susumu Hirasawa's work on Paprika, especially Parade, 
is sort of mm. manic and crazy and brilliant. And literally anything by Joe Hisashi, um, but especially Journey to the mm. West from Princess Mononoke. <laughs> But I settled on Akira. By, I googled how to say this, Jinao Yamashiragumi, which is actually a music collective uh, featuring a hundred unprofessional, <laughs> unprofessional, non-professional, it's probably <laughs> not professional, completely unprofessional musicians. <laughs> <laughs> Dicks to a man. Um, so, like lawyers and carpenters and such. They, uh, cool. They did the music, um, but the composer, um, I eventually managed to find out, was Sutomo Ohashi. And I chose it because it has so many incredible tracks and motifs. Uh, the film opens with this deep, terrifying, booming sound. Um, and then after a few moments of wowing the audience with the animation, uh, the track Canada kicks in. And it's just one mm. of the best opening tracks to any soundtrack ever. It's energetic, it's exciting, mm. and it's very unconventional. It's very unique. Immediately you're in this world. Um, and the whole soundtrack is just really new and exciting, um, especially in how it utilizes vocals in this weird percussive way um, that's similar to the work of my next entry, in fact. Look at Shomyo. <laughs> for more of that exhilarating choir work. Battle Against the Clowns is unlike anything else I know. It's very primal and very powerful. As is Mutation, which sounds like gods scorning you for your foolishness. Um, the track Dolls Polyphony. <laughs> Winds over Neo Tokyo is a haunting little piece that accompanies the only peaceful moment that Tetsuo gets in his in the whole film, probably his whole life. Hmm. And it's still really eerie with its sliding scale and bizarre sounds. Tetsuo's theme itself is biblically weird and evocative of the terrible power he has coursing through his veins and his brains. But the best track is Requiem. Uh, it's a little, uh, it's like a little sampler of the rest of the album, but with this really awe-inspiring yeah. choral component that runs throughout. And there's this moment where the choir reaches this awesome peak, and then there's just a moment of quiet before Canada's theme kicks in. I was going to say, I love the reprisal of Canada's theme in that. It's wonderful. It gives me chills every single time. Um, and there's also an excellent organ solo, so listen out for that. <laughs> Kids. Yeah. Cool. All right, then. Well, my number nine, and this is the, the second film where I, I left the film fairly ambivalent and mm. absolutely fucking adored the soundtrack because the composer is an absolute natural genius. Uh, it's Macbeth. Soundtrack by Jed Curtle. Love the film. Love the soundtrack. His brothers, <laughs> Justin. Yeah. Love the film of the play. By um, <laughs> William Shakespeare. The, the play by Yo Nesbo. <laughs> where Michael Fassbender reprises his role of Harry Hole. <laughs> and um, but in, in the Scottish Highlands, where he's he's the cr- criminal in this one. So what? It's a big twist. Oh, I know. That his eyes are full of scorpions. <laughs> <laughs> Ow! Um, <laughs> fuck. So where's where's the film? Um, 
looked incredible and just left me feeling a little bit cold. I know you really enjoyed it, mm. which in that tone made it sound like an insult, but I didn't mean yeah. it like that. <laughs> I know you really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jed Kurzel seems really intuitive. Mm. He seems like the kind of person who just bring in a keyboard and be like, how about this? And then he'd play you the most fucking beautiful brooding masterpiece. He shows up on set with make- a keytar. The sounds he gets from that keytar, though. <laughs> Unreal. Similarly to Snowtown, mm. it, there's very sort of dark, grinding synth feels to it. But this unmistakably Highland feel mm. of yes, percussive bells and mm. bagpipe-esque melodies. The main theme is so devastating. It, like from from the outset, even if you weren't being shown perfectly beautiful shots of Highland Scotland yeah. in a sort of degraded, uh, like feudalistic uh, fashion, the, the soundtrack alone tells you of the devastation that's about to follow. It does. It's a, quite. It's a genuinely painful soundtrack to listen to. Mm. The first, the, the child part one and two, yeah. opening the movie. Yeah, it's just some of the, some of the best opening to a soundtrack that I've heard. And my favourite track would be Dunsinane. takes the main theme and it prefaces it mm. with some something different it, it just couches the main theme in something a little bit different so that when it mm. finally does hit it's just even more devastating and flooring mm. than it's managed to be in the rest of the soundtrack mm-hmm. it's really really good i can't wait to see what jack kerzel does next yeah it's really fantastic and i knew mm. immediately that it was a very special soundtrack i'd also like to show some love for jed kerzel's soundtrack to alien covenant uh, which was mm. masterfully it masterfully blended themes from the original Jerry Goldsmith soundtrack, which is another honourable mention, and his own sinister orchestrations, which were easily the best part of the film. Okay, my number eight. Now, Philip Glass is an excellent composer. He's contributed fabulous work to Candyman... Truman Show. And he's also worked, um, apparently on the fucking Fantastic Four movie we reviewed. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. But obviously I've selected his magnum opus, Koyana Skatsi. Uh, minimalist. Glass is a minimalist um, and it has these recurrent phrases that repeat for long stretches of time before releasing into something divine. The title piece has this excellent organ phrase that's in the film at one stage accompanies the flaming wreckage of a rocket falling back to earth and it just embodies this unending horror and tragedy and this weird cycle of pain. It's a great and terrible work this album. Tracks like Organic and Clouds are sure to test most listeners patience when separated from their visual accompaniment but the ever so slight variations and gradual introduction of elements become thrilling. It's a very slow release pleasure, with occasional explosions of movement and wonder, like resource, for example. Hmm. Then there's the work that Glass does with choirs, and Vessels is perhaps indicative of his entire career of choir work. Hmm. But there's also great electronic work here, like um, in The Grid, another track called The Grid. (laughs) 
similarly excellent. Uh, and there's something so titanic. Similarly using Jeff Bridges. Similarly Jeff Bridges. It's really weird that they sampled him. Um, and sampled him from Altered State, which was the only <laughs> the film he had done. <laughs> the second best track on the album is Prophecies. Terrifying piece of music that is mournful and shattering. Um, and I'm particularly haunted by the very end when the familiar piece of title track returns and just gradually winds down into nothing, which marks the end of the album. But the best track is undoubtedly the one that Zack Snyder pinched for Watchmen. It's Pruitt Ego. Christ, is that powerful. And when the deep cutting cellos come in and there's this perverse little horn section going on, it's, it's pretty great. And Snyder does have a point. It is perfect for the death and birth of God. Somehow it always makes me think of Oppenheimer. I can see, I can see that. <laughs> cool. My number eight is Carol. And my number seven is In Bruges by Carter Burwell. Tell us about yes. your Burwell. Okay, well, my Burwell is a, is a sparse painfully beautiful collection of melodies that occasionally allow grandeur which is why I sort of associate with Burwell in mm. general yeah. he will produce something that just captures the essence of the film in just a few chords mm. and it just builds and builds and builds until very suddenly you realise that your heart you don't have one anymore it's gone it's exploded <laughs> there you go Carol itself is a very intimate film mm. very meticulously shot everything I mean it was so meticulously shot so well done that the guy in front of us couldn't help but take pictures of the movie the entire way through when we were watching it <laughs> oh yeah um, it, really, it really was gorgeous and the, the music matches the perfection in these images mm. starting with the track Taxi which mm. just sets out this piece yeah. very very well it's just a piano to begin with it's so haunting and lonesome you immediately know that it's not going to be a happy film it's not really <laughs> going to be much of a, a resolution here mm. but then listening to it retrospectively it's one of one of those soundtracks that just brings everything back flooding we move through Datebook, the train lovers which mm. starts to remind me of something like max richter yeah. building on this original theme but bringing mm. in this achingly beautiful string section yeah. and 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 then it sort of it winds down again and even though it, it's building in the way that the strings are swelling as, as the soundtrack goes on you can just feel the energy draining from it in the way that it does the characters and mm. if i were to you know if i were to spend my life in one room with one person just touching <laughs> their face forever in a in a moody intimate way then i think mm. carol by carter burwell would be the soundtrack <laughs> to it the best track is taxi it sets everything out it's it's sparse and it's haunting i've said yeah. haunting a lot now but it is haunting. It is haunting. It's bloody it's haunting. right now. One of the things that occurred to me listening to it back, Carol, is that Burwell makes such gorgeous use of, I think it's the oboe, is his sort mm. of deep wind instrument. It's quirky and kind of heartbreaking the way he uses it. Um, yeah, my favourite track in Carol is actually Crossing. Okay. So I think it's near the end. It might be the track that plays just as they sort of find each other again at that party. Or rather when she lures her away from the, the dinner that she's at. It's oh, beautiful. Mm. My Burwell. <laughs> well, it was tough to pick a Burwell. 
actually. He has a habit of doing that thing we mentioned earlier of writing a really great theme and then a rather understated rest of the album. Mm. And I really adore the main theme to Fargo, for example. And Future Vessel from Being John Malkovich. was really important to me when I was young. Um, But in the end, I settled on In Bruges. Partly because of my favourite track, which I'll talk about later, but also because it captures a mood perfectly. And I think it illustrates what Burwell does best. It's no coincidence that he's a favourite of black comedy types, like the Coen brothers, Martin McDonagh, Spike Jonze, and whoever directed Twilight. He has a knack for this melancholy absurdity. Hmm. And I remember feeling so incredulous during a particular freak occurrence in three billboards i forget which one but i just remember thinking come on this is getting a bit silly but then i heard the soundtrack and i remember thinking oh no that's just that's just the kind of movie it is yeah it's like a farce or something but a beautiful one as well the music sets the tone so perfectly and especially in in bruges in tracks like harry walks Piano is the real driving force of this one, and he writes some beautiful pieces for it, like The Little Dead Boy. Little Dead Boy. (laughs) And in the case of The Shootout, parts one and two, he's happy to completely change the mood and introduce something a little bit weird. Which further highlights the idea that characters are just doing what they see in movies by introducing just a little bit of Morricone in there to be like this is them playing western but for the most part it's just really elegant downbeat score that masterfully contrasts and therefore complements the childish behavior of the film's lead character after all Colin Farrell's character is as out of place in this gorgeous soundtrack as he is in fucking Bruges so it really works um the best track is actually the prologue into medieval waters are often lumped together for good reason. It's a fantastic piano piece with a beautiful theme and really rich sound. And then Medieval Waters takes that theme and renders it in a small string orchestra with an otherworldly wind sound for the melody. And there's this little descent bit, which is basically what I think of as the Burwell sound. It could be in any of his soundtracks, the Coens, the Twilights, anything. And that's Carter Burwell for us yeah what guy and two Mm. just incredible soundtracks uh my number seven is amelie Jan Tiersen. Jan Tiersen. Jan Tiersen. Jan Tiersen. Yep, Tiersen. He came from the mines to to write something so beautiful with an accordion. Yeah, it was all his countrymen had in the dark. And (laughs) he made something beautiful with it. What this movie feels like to me is like having somebody walk me through Paris or a French village, just pointing out the beautiful things that I might have missed and stopping and, and, and just rubbing my back while I take in the beautiful <laughs> landscape or the cute little dog or it was the, Gerard the smell of fresh bread or yeah, Gerard Butler um, over, overfeeding a duck so its stomach explodes. 
so he can ground its liver into a delicious paste. France is wonderful, and Amelie is also <laughs> wonderful. And the, the soundtrack is fairly... To call it simple would be doing it a disservice, because it's not. It's very intricate, and mm. what, I've heard that watching Jan Tiersen play this soundtrack live on the accordion is just extraordinary mm. uh, it's apparently just one of the most thrilling experiences you could ever hope <laughs> to see wonders of the modern world yeah let's make it official everyone <laughs> tearson for the olympics tearson for fears <laughs> tearson for fearson um it's basically and tearson for fearson on an accordion could you get any more french is jaunty it has its jaunty moments it has its lonely melancholy moments with a lot of waltzes i think yeah. is, the, is the main is the main sort of theme they're going with here. I mean, how more French can you possibly sound without turning a car onto its roof and setting it on fire? <laughs> it's just, You're such a francophile. It's, it's, it's not possible. But you love it. And, you know, I, it's this dance that Amelie has with possibility, the notion of human inter- human interaction before being whisked away to a little her her loneliness that she mm. takes so much comfort in. And it's mm. all there in all of these all of these pieces. Yeah. Uh, my favourite would be Les Jeux Tristes. Which plays, I think, during the catch-up where we hear the story of her as a young girl and her family and the things she likes to do when she's walking around Paris. Right. There's so many discreet things happening in this song that's sort of leading you away from the main theme. As said before, it's just very, very French and it's... It is. Such an intricately beautiful piece of music. It is. I I actually loved this soundtrack long before I saw the film. Oh, cool. I discovered Comptine d'une autre Etta, uh, Le Après Midi, somewhere, and fell in love with it. Um, it's a very elegant piece. Also, Leveille's D'Amelie, piano versions. It's wonderful. Really gorgeous piano pieces. Waltz of Amelie. The Vase of Amelie. (laughs) Vase de Amelie. Spends all the money on vases and... (laughs) Uh, should have been spending them on vases a daft bin. Ah, well that's that was really sweet, Paul. My next entry is Under the Skin by Mika Levy. Aww. Yeah, it's a soundtrack that's like falling into cold water. I've spoken about it at least once before. It's the perfect musical rendition of Unease. Uh, you're you're hearing lips to void right now which is a piece that i think speaks directly to whatever part of your brain it is that knows you're going to die someday and the world won't care and doesn't let you forget it creation is a relentless and very upsetting piece which is kind of at odds with the rest of the soundtrack only because it doesn't use an eerie silence punctuated by blasts of noise and drones Mm. obviously that creepy little string bit that i best uh, that's first heard in lips to void where they are also joined by a deep unnerving electronic groan before it kicks back in with a sick little jaunt and there's an industrial quality to the noise like lynch lonely void all the track titles invoke <laughs> this sort of simple blunt coldness of the film and its soundtrack but lonely void has this stripped out bit where the drum gets really unsettling parts of the soundtrack are like something tapping its claws against your heart lonely void also has my favorite version of that three note string motif at the end where it's suddenly joined by a whole host of other strings i 
I really like the weird, confused fluttering in Mirror to Vortex, especially when it's joined by a jarring electronic drumming sound that sounds like a machine getting clogged. Mm. All of this is then contrasted with the self-discovery bits later on, like Bedroom and Love. Uh, still really weird and quietly upsetting, but there's this authentic life coming into it. Apparently Jonathan Glazer would direct Levy with prompts like, what does it sound like to be on fire? <laughs> and imagine when you tell somebody a joke, and it's not very good, and their reaction's a bit stilted. To which apparently Mika Levy has a complete psychotic breakdown, because this is what she thinks that sounds like. Mika Levy, very interesting person. <laughs> she is. She also claimed to have been inspired by... Oh, fuck me, look at these. Jacinto Skelzi, Ianis <laughs> Zenekis, John Cage, thank God, and music played in strip clubs. What fucking oh. strip clubs? What are they stripping off? Their skin? I have been to a strip club <laughs> once where the stripper slid down a pole to change in the House of Flies by the Deftones, and it was the best fucking night of my life. Have you actually? Yeah, seriously. Oh, fuck me. Fantastic. I saw a burlesque yeah. performances once by someone who did it to Vangelis' uh, soundtrack to Blade Runner. That was surreal. Mm. Mm. <laughs> what a great choice. Yeah. I'd like to get to know her. <laughs> so would I. And Mika uh, Levy. <laughs> her strip club choices. <laughs> the best track is Drift, because it's that okay. awful little three-note bit again, but it's all strung out like the thing has been injured mm. in some way. It's when the thing is losing its sense of purpose, I think. And the okay. drum coming back in actually often makes me jump. I forget where it happens. And there's this little fast little soaring string thing at the end that maybe represents mm. the things that are now going to pursue her now that she's lost her sense of identity. The change of perspective and the ever so slight introduction of the soundtrack's warmer elements that will come in later are really excellent. And in preparing for this episode, I did eventually have to stop listening to this because I got scared. <laughs> I got creeped out. Yeah, it's like the best horror soundtrack. It's a soundtrack that leaves me feeling numb in the best possible way. Um, as if a gorgeous alien just sucked out my insides and turned them into maths. As if. <laughs> Mika Levy has done some amazing work. I really love oh, her yeah. soundtrack for Jackie as yeah, well. Yeah, that was superb. Um, it all it again manages to be thoroughly disturbing and unsettling. Yeah, it's it's got Such... a real beauty to it with its string work, but it's just thoroughly unpleasant. I really respect time. Jackie as a film. I feel like a lot of people probably saw it and thought, "Oh, I know what that is," and then just didn't bother. But it's yeah. so not just what a, you think it's going to uh, be. Yeah, it's just not a biopic. You know, it's mm. it's a horror piece of anything else. It's very mm. weird. Ugh, a lot of isolation and loneliness in that film. Yeah, that scene where. Camelot is playing and she's just wandering around the bedroom. It's oh, it's weird. This, then the scene where she's on fire and Mika Levy had to <laughs> write a song about it. <laughs> In a strip club. It's very weird. <laughs> Even though Max Richter's On the Nature of Daylight is mm. perfect and is the most achingly, painfully beautiful piece yeah. of music I've ever heard in my entire life and is not on the Arrival soundtrack. The Arrival soundtrack is still very, very good. <laughs> and that's why it's at number six yeah. in my top ten of soundtracks of all time by Johan Johansson. It is worth saying Max Richter's piece is on The Blue Notebooks by him, which is excellent. It has some yes. interesting vocal work by people like Tilda Swinton. Mm. It's a very good album. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, it's, mm. Yeah, perfect piece of music. But enough about Max Richter, the fucking <laughs> twat. <laughs> the absolute bastard. Yeah. Johanna Hansen has, has done some mm. really remarkable work. Not sure if it's lastly, but uh, one of the more recent ones being Mandy, mm. which was sadly disqualified for um, nomination at the Oscars mm. due to it being released on stream at the same time as it was oh. released in cinema. 
Right. Which is a shame. <laughs> very, very good in all aspects. Very, very anyway, good. I especially love Arrival. It's got the hallmark sort of industrial ambient mm. noise aspects of a lot of Johansson's work. Um, he's he's taken a few really simple themes in in Arrival, and he just it's just a case of dipping in and out of various mm. melodies as he goes. You've got the um, uh, I think it's just called is it just called Arrival? <laughs> yeah. I'll just get it out of the way now and say that Heptapod B is my favourite track. <laughs> And it's just, it's it's dipping into these various themes as they go along, sometimes combining the two. It's, it stands out for its sort of beautiful, quiet moments contrasted with its huge, atmospheric, monolith moving, like rounds of noise. What a good soundtrack does is capture the mood of the film and write something, you know, that gives you what the visual side of things can't do. I don't think I can think of a better one for the otherworldly arrival that happens in yeah. this film that you shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't be scared. There should be curiosity, but there is, there is threat. Where's it coming from? Who's to say? It's probably man or dogs. Yeah. But it's, both. it's clean and crisp and it's powerful. And I think that's mm. just, it's a really unique sound. It's an excellent fuel. It's a brilliant source of energy for all of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Johan Johansson was incredible. Um, he was one of the true mavericks of film composition and was completely unafraid to use bizarre sounds to make an impact. And I, re- I really love the throat singing that he likes to do. It's reminiscent of Akira, especially in Principle of Least Time. Mm. It's mm. thrilling and weird and beautiful. Okay, Ennio Morricone for number five. Oh. Just a lifetime of some of the most iconic soundtracks ever written. I was watching The Untouchables the other day and remembered oh, yeah. how great the music for that is. There's also the mission. And a host of others, really. There's any number of things you can mention. I've gone with one of his collaborations with Sergio Leone and could have gone with the instantly recognizable music from For a Fistful of Dollars. Mm. Or perhaps a few dollars more. which also has Watch Chime. His very stately and grandiose theme for Once Upon a Time in the West. Which also has harmonica. And the Grand Massacre. Which is a track from which the essence of Quentin Tarantino was conceived. But sometimes the obvious choice is obvious for a reason. The 
did the band The Ugly, known primarily for its incredibly iconic main theme, which is also known as the ringtone of that scary looking guy on the bus. But it's so much more! <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> it's actually yes to believe it or not, because I feel like some people just think, oh what, the diddle-loo, doo-doo-doo. And it, it, it does have that, it has an excellent Peter and the Wolf style variation with that theme. Yeah. Uh, the good has the flute, the bad has the ocarina, and Tuco gets human voices, or just howls. My favourite use of that track is in The Chase, which is a little bit more stripped out, so you can appreciate it a bit more. Because it has become very cliched. I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure diaper adverts have used that at some stage, so... Once you're in a diaper advert, you're, you're done, mate. Yeah. You hear that, Richard Ayuadi? Yeah, we've got far to go. He'll um, make it work, though. You know he will. <laughs> God damn it, how does he keep doing this? Um... Beyond that excellent theme, you have Sundown. Which is a fabulously yeah. evocative piece with a great sense of menace. The film is set during the American Civil War, and although it's a light-hearted adventure movie about three idiots, it doesn't shy away from the horrors of war. Um, mm -hmm. And the soundtrack obliges with tracks like The Strong. And one of my favourite pieces, The Soldier's Song. There in the distance, a flag I can see, Then of course there's the brilliance of the final track, The Trio. Which scores the final showdown of the film. And Leone filmed and edited the sequence to go with the music, and the effect is cinematic history. Mm -hmm. I particularly love the little guitar yeah. flutters as the men are spacing out at the beginning. But once it gets yeah. fully going, it's like the definitive showdown music. <sighs> but the best track is obviously The Ecstasy of Gold. legendary piece of film music with good reason. It speaks of pure joy, but so ecstatically that it's completely unreal. It's an oasis of symphonic perfection amidst a gritty action soundtrack. That lone female voice, which is unique to the film, has this hallucinatory quality, and I think it's really intoxicating. It's just a melodic masterpiece. You're right, it is so much more than the main. Mm theme um i was listening to it yesterday mm. and I, there's about 17 separate <laughs> peaks to the soundtrack yeah <laughs> every, every time you think it's not going to be able to have a more rousing <laughs> end to a piece it just keeps bettering it it keeps besting it yeah that's marconi he was just a genius and he yeah. i think he and leone had one of those zimmer Nolan mm. relationships where they just brought out the best in each other and urged each other on to do yeah. newer and weirder stuff. My number five is A Social Network by Trent Reznor and yeah. Ascus Ross. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross have made such a diverse soundtrack here. Mm. Somehow they've, they've combined these gorgeous lonely little numbers for Mark Zuckerberg slash Jesse Eisenberg because he's a real loner and nobody likes him. <laughs> they are the same. Yeah, with these fucking banging tunes. 
sometimes so banging that you can't hear what any of the characters are saying. But that's David Fincher's fault. As, as well as mixing these two really, really well, it's also really playful. My favourite track is In Motion, which is one of those banging tunes that I talk about. But it's 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 led into by Hand Covered Bruise, which is such a such a gorgeous little piece. Um, very, very simple. It's almost it's almost Newman esque. Uh, Thomas Newman, that is not Gary. <laughs> the um... cars. <laughs> yeah, can we uh, try to take with you not saying cars, Gary? <laughs> Fine. Yeah, but I'm Gary Newman. Do, do, do. Do, do, do. In cars. Dick Gary. <sighs> Gary. Look, it's great. We, we love it. God knows. We all love cars. However. I, David Fincher, love fucking cars. <laughs> Let me be the first to say. <laughs> Just ask Ed Norton. But yeah, no, it's got a, it's, it's got a Thomas Newman aspect to it. Mm. Hand covers bruise and its simplicity. And it's one that it keeps coming back to me. And every, t- every time I hear it, it... It's one of those things that just cuts right cuts right through to my black heart and soul. And then leading into In Motion. It's the two main themes of the it's the two main themes of the mm. film at work, I think. It's it's the it's the hold that technology has over our lives and it's also the inability of the guy responsible for all of it to actually interact and integrate with yeah. the people around him. Yeah. And then going back to the playfulness, we have things like his their rem- remix slash cover <laughs> of uh, In the Hall of the Mountain King. <laughs> Yeah, totally Which I remember the f- from Edward Green. Yeah, oh, unbelievable. But they, um, I remember seeing that with you and just mm. laughing quite a lot as it was happening because <laughs> yeah. they had all these close-ups of these these rowers, these manly yeah. rowers, all grunting and gurning for camera. Just what, what a perfect combination of Fincher, Ross, and Reznor. Yeah. Oh they, yeah, they've been so fucking productive and so they have um, been so entertaining. Yeah, Girl with the Dragon it's, Tattoo and Gone Girl have also been just incredible. There's there's so so much good in here, and mm. it's one of those soundtracks that really works as mm. in in many formats. It's one of my main writing albums. I put it on mm. at work quite a lot on Fridays. Mm. It's a Friday album. Everyone, <laughs> we're listening to the Social Network again. <laughs> That's why everyone's requested their days off to be Friday now. Because <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. It's good workout music. Mm-hmm. There are also tracks like A Familiar Taste, mm. and I think it's reprised later in On We March. And it hints at that darkness. At first, you think maybe it's just trying to make technology and, and being nerdy sound cool. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there are so many layers mm. to this, and there's a story to tell. And there are—I'm not sure if they're leitmotifs in the original sense of being mm. char- character themes, but mm. there are themes that keep returning and yeah. keep reminding you of certain um, certain aspects of the film. And yeah. it's yeah, for that, it's just a, a complete and very comprehensive work. My favorite track from that album is "Magnetic." Are like weird instruments. Yeah. Um, Reznor was blowing down the open dayness of Atticus Ross for that one. <laughs> Very interesting. That's what got him into Nine Inch Nails, Atticus Ross. <laughs> that was the initiation ritual. <laughs> All right, mate, you can join. <laughs> but speaking of um, virtuoso magicians, uh, magicians, yeah, great. <laughs> Trent Reznor, the fucking magician, boys and girls. <laughs> Watch as he splits this melody in half. <laughs> Fuck me. Okay. Speaking of virtuoso musicians who transitioned into film music, uh, it's my number four. And how about another Western, you absolute slags? <laughs> what? Better than the good, the bad, and the ugly? Yeah. Get a load of this. Yeah. It's 
the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, who stopped living and became a mixed-up zombie by Nick <laughs> Cave and Warren Ellis. Wow. Nothing happens in that film, Paul, am I right? It's boring. <laughs> Love it. It is a yeah, very it's great. It's a very underrated film and an equally underappreciated soundtrack. The first track is titled A Rather Lovely Thing, and that pretty much does it for this soundtrack. Um, it's frail, often, and very unconventional. It's like a divine symphony that has been performed by three trampy musicians traveling across the plains slowly. You know, it has, I don't know, how would you describe it? Like a a homemade feel to it. It's very relatable. You can almost smell the resin from the violins and the violas. It's just You can certainly hear it. Yeah, it it has this deep, resonant, warm quality to much of it, um, occasionally Mm. punctuated by this sublime piano sound. Um, It's a very morose soundtrack full of pity and sorrow. Mm. There's not really much more to say about it, so I'll just name some of its gorgeous pieces so that I can sample them here. Um, Moving on... otherworldly song for Jesse. Back down to earth for falling. And what must be done is so beautiful, one of my favourites. best track on the album is Song for Bob and here's some of it. Yeah, I really feel like it's Nick Cave's most focused work. Yeah. Not to say that everything else is messy, because obviously it isn't, but I feel like he's he's shining a light on a very particular theme here. Yeah. And it, and it, and it the gaze doesn't waver. Yeah, it's just—it's amazing how many different just melodies there are in there. It's, it's such an eclectic mix, but all of this same sort of style that just feels so perfectly Western. My number four is "The Fountain" by Clint Mansell. Mansell, uh, what to say about the man? He's been knocking him out. <laughs> it's just fantastic. Yeah. It's from the soft piano of the opening theme, "Last Man," mm. which is the which is for the Hugh Jackman that's trapped in the future in the floating sort of ecosystem, yeah. going towards a dying star. Mm. And from when it goes to there to the present to the past, where mm. you, we, we've got the industrial sounds of Holy Dread featuring Cronus Quartet, who's worked with quite yeah. quite a lot in the past. Right, and then the Dream, most notably. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it manages to then go to medieval tribal feel mm. to the parts stuck in the Conquistador era, <laughs> but still managing to stick to this main couple of themes in this soundtrack. It, again, such a. It's sparse in places, but it's, sauce, got, but it's sauce, such a rich sound. Great. But it's got such a rich <laughs> sound in others. Yeah, and Novgorod. <laughs> such, so much. Such a misunderstood place. What earns it this place in the top 10? 
and why it's so perfect for this film, which isn't a particularly long film, I don't think, is the mm. slow build-up that teases mm. a peak. It teases release and catharsis. Mm. That Even in my favourite track, Death is the Road to Awe. Which is a, a long sort of 10 minute-ish piece. Yeah. It just teases and teases and builds and teases. Yeah. And two or three times it stops and then mm. it builds again. Yeah. It's just like with the film, it kind of everything feels so far out of reach. Everything feels so unattainable that when it finally hits, and I've mentioned this before in, um, in our top 10 movies of all time, it's it's like a, it's a deluge. It's Death is the Road to War is one of the biggest payoffs in soundtracks for me. such a perfect balance of, of small and sparse and then big and huge and world ending um, yeah. it matches the film and the two of them together are just perfect they are it's a really great soundtrack one of my favourite parts to it is the transition from the end of Holy Dread into Tree of Life Uh, which also yeah. marks the point of the conquistador entering into the sort of secret cave. Yeah. Um, and it has this great quality of having moved from one reality into another. The soundtrack manages action and sorrow with such power. It's hard not to feel mm. taken over by it. The, the the transition from death is the road to order, together mm. we will live forever as well, is a newish refrain on the, the original mm. theme. And yeah. it's um, excoriating of all <laughs> past, past troubles. Yeah, and past what's, what's left now, and past trollops. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> okay, now let's take a step back for a minute for number three because we've been going no. too bloody fast. Um, film music was the first music I le- I learned to really love, and the biggest step for me came after I bought my mother a CD called Pure Chill Out when I was twelve. Brief note on Pure Chill Out. It's a great album, really worth having. It's got some extraordinarily good pieces of music on it. It's on Amazon for about a penny. There's a track <laughs> listing on Amazon. None of those tracks are in it. <laughs> completely oh. wrong track listing featuring a whole bunch of like really melodic kind of trance music from the early noughties nope it's a classical <laughs> album and all of the comments pretty much are one star didn't have any of the tracks listed <laughs> very weird amazon very weird but yeah. we started listening to it in the car after i bought it for mum and i loved all of it including any other name from american beauty which introduced me to that and a few other mm. things some brian eno was on there some gold oh, frap cool. porter's head some yeah mm. very eclectic stuff moby porcelain was on there but one piece stood out to me it was the heart ass pleasure first by michael nyman from the jane campion mm. film the piano and in spite of the fact it was my first real musical love i could have easily gone for a different nyman work i adore gattaca <laughs> Obviously, his work with Peter Greenaway represents one of the most rewarding collaborations between filmmaker and musicians. And I don't even know what part I'll sample here to indicate that, because there's just so much to choose from. But I did go for the piano, largely because of my because of my favourite track, which I'll come to in a moment, but also because it's a really beautiful and surprisingly subdued album for Nyman, who's always in favour of the avant-garde weirdness. And it's nice mm. to have something a bit more conventionally attractive. Um, like, your, like your cousin, Rachel. Um, <laughs> I 
to the edge of the earth, for me, has a sound that typifies a kind of English music, which is perfect for a New Zealand film. It's a sadness, but also a kind of joy, a wistfulness, if you will, to it. Mm. A wild and distant shore is tempestuous and very evocative. Bed of ferns is sweet and lulling like a bed of wolves. <laughs> I actually attempted to learn Big My Secret when I was a sprog, and I did pretty well up to a certain point. See if you can spot it. Passes through you is another astoundingly great piano theme. Didn't even try to learn that one, thank god. Uh, I love the rich oboe sound in Lost and Found. And then it ends with Dreams of a Journey, which is joyful and exuberant. A very flattering review of the album described the sound as the voice of the main character of the film, who is mute throughout, so this is like her only mm. voice. And I love the idea that this character expresses herself solely through these incredibly moving pieces. It's like a missing piece of the film. Best piece is, of course, the heart ass pleasure first. its variations, which are The Promise, Here to There, which is the most Nyman-ass track on the album, <laughs> Deep Into the Forest, The Sacrifice, The Wounded, and finally the last half of Dreams of a Journey, which is a fabulous end to the album. <laughs> stunning renditions of a piece that was so good it ignited the spark that lit the flame that was and is my my love for music it's kind of a dick move for me to put two albums higher but there you go thanks nyman try a little harder next time <laughs> you gotta nyme a little harder next time <laughs> nyme harder my number three is your number one. Oh, well i guess i better bloody well hold it back then gosh God. yeah or <laughs> the only selection in this whole list that needs to be held back because it's higher on the others list <laughs> except also my number two so oh yeah what's your Just number mind, two yeah well my number two which is the real number two <laughs> if we're if, if we're splitting hairs <laughs> is your name uh, an original score for the movie your name by radwimps It has a number of original songs also written for the for the film. Just the, the fucking heartbreakingly powerful Nandam Naya, which is used at the end of the movie, both in two incarnations. First, when Taki and Mitsuha are looking for each other and forgetting who they're looking for at the same time, and then also as it cuts to credits, the, uh, the movie version cuts in. <laughs>
どこから寂しさを運んできたの Just like Dreamlands and cuts in at the beginning with that intake of breath, and then the, the title screen coming up, it cuts to blackness, and you just hear his voice singing something in Japanese. Try not to look at the subtitles because it's gibberish. <laughs> But aside from the, the band stuff that Radbims have done, they've also、mm. scored instrumental work to go along with it, and、mm. it's a real mixture of stuff. It takes me back to a time when I could be hooked by an RPG or when I had、yes. the time to be hooked by an RPG because it has jaunty little plinky piano music for,、mm. for the quaint、um, Itamori, Itamori scenes. Yes, Itamori, Itamori scenes. High School is very、yeah. cutesy and makes very playful use of the piano. Yes, yes. And、um, also in First View of Tokyo. Yes, exactly.、Well. First、yeah. View of Tokyo. Mitsuhai and Taki c o m e s out and, re- and realizes where she is. The,、mm. the music accompanying that is just gorgeous.、Um, but then we have、um, un- is it Unusual Changes of Two? Yes, that's a, that's a sitcom theme tune, if ever there was one.、Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's another one of those moments in the film where you're really not sure what it is you're watching because、yes. it. It just changes pace so often in the first half an hour without、mm. really explaining what's going on. Yeah, and Cafe and... at Last is just the blues. It's like、yeah. a really bluesy, kind of jazzy piece. Gosh, Disappeared Town, Kuji Kamizake Trip. Kuchi Kamizaki trip is the, the first moment in the film where I start weeping like a、mm. fucking dog. <laughs>、um, and You're not doing dogs right. Jesus Christ, this, this score is beautiful. It,、mm. And I think it's one of those things where it helps when you, you get to know the characters better. It make, through comedy, it helps to make the, the more serious moments more heartfelt. The score does the same, it lulls you into this. Beautiful twee soundtrack at times <laughs>、yeah. with some of this inoffensive pop punk. But then、mm. when you get into things like my favorite track, which is Goshin Tai, where they're walking they're walking towards the shrine of the god's head.、Um, oh, yes. Where Taki is in, is in Mitsuha's body and the grandmother knows, and they're walking、yeah. and they're talking about Mis- Misubi. Or Mizubi, the joining of things. That piece definitely evokes Ghibli for me,、um, mm. Goshin Tai. It's just one of those very, very personal moments that I had throughout. It manages to do so much, and it's, it's one of those albums that brings tears to my eyes just listening to it without、yeah. the film. Yeah, it's a very broad soundtrack, just full of lovely things.、Mm. We have come to my number one, a choice that I made almost immediately after we started this and never really questioned. It maybe could have been contested by my number two, which you'll find out about shortly because it's Goodman's、mm. number one.、Um, this incident is Goodman's number three. I had to go with Hans Zimmer.、Um, he's a seemingly divisive、to. figure in film scoring with some, feel- with some feeling that he draws too much attention to himself.、Um, but he's been responsible for some of the most sublime music ever crammed into a cinema.、Um, <laughs> Gladiator. <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean.
thin red line. Blade Runner 2049. Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. And of course, his work with Christopher Nolan. So, yes. what's it to be? The Dark Knight. It's just yeah. more full and rewarding and rich and provocative. I fucking love that soundtrack. It was very nearly that. Or Interstellar. Yeah. One of the best Big writing ever album for space. me. Yeah, which completely ignores cliches. You won't find a synth in there, I don't think. It's it's all the majesty of space and organs and choirs. It's stunning. Dunkirk. Heartbeat of a soundtrack. All fantastic. All utterly defining works that changed the genres the genres that they were written in. Yeah. But in the end, I went with the one that I vividly remember walking out of the cinema upon first viewing and stopping so that I could hear more of the soundtrack. It's Inception. Everything in Inception has scale and weight to it, but there are some really mm. excellent and compelling softer tracks, including Old Souls. Uh, but the big stuff yeah. is incredible. Mombasa is thrilling and inventive. Yeah. Five you saw that live, right? Yeah, I did. He played three of these tracks live. Um, yeah, and it was just fucking amazing. Mm. Mombasa was brilliant. I'm so glad he played that one. 428491 builds to a big old Bwami climax. <laughs> and of course, there's the dream is collapsing. Yeah. It's just so cool, is the thing. Yeah. Maybe this is a generational thing, but these sounds you're hearing that I've been putting in here, they put the chills up me. Like, mm. maybe that twangy old Bond theme have done for generations gone by, you know? It just it fucked those chills right into me. Yeah, it's just what, what cool sounds like. I also oh. really loved his track, Je ne regrette rien. That was great. He, uh, <laughs> how he managed to write that. Was, how he managed to know. dig up and reanimate um, Edith Piaf. Oh. Anybody's guess. What a genius. <laughs> Marion Cotillard must have been miffed, having just won an Oscar <laughs> for having played her. And it's like, oh, no, the real one's back. But you've heard <laughs> the Oscar now. Fuck. Put away that hologram. <laughs> dress it up like Amy Winehouse. <laughs> Don't it's, refer to but... Marion Cotillard as a hologram. She's more than that. Well, she's yet to prove it, sir. <laughs> It's also memorable. Yeah. It's not just one thing. It's not just the Bwams. No. Well, you know, but, in... but Nolan will self will not self indulgently. What's the opposite of that? Self deprecatingly say. <laughs> the Bwam movie. <laughs> Imagine if. <laughs> Imagine Bwam. You actually, oh, you actually get a really shit movie. It's just Bwams. <laughs> I'm actually really self effacing. Me, Christopher <laughs> Nolan, genius. 
we haven't mentioned our joint favorite track yet. All right, the best track, our favorite piece of movie. Uh, well, it's my favorite piece of movie music ever. I guess wow. given second. <laughs> um, it's time. It starts and ends gently with a triumphant middle bit that builds gradually but persistently like waves coming in with the tide. Um, it's also got a neat little electric guitar bit because Hans Zimmer is a badass who could beat up any one of your dads easy. <laughs> the tail end of it is this delicate, almost non-existent trail-off, and when the strings finally leave and it's just the piano, it's like you had stopped noticing the strings were here until they stopped. And now that they're gone and it's just a piano, you've got this new level of exposure. A new level of rawness that just makes it all the more eerie and affecting. Mm. When we get to the end of that track, mm. I'm cold. I feel like I've broken out into a sweat and it's, it's cooling on my skin. And then I'm waiting for that final little, what do you call it, that like whooshing. Yeah. That, that brings about the end of the soundtrack and the end yeah. of the film mm. with such anticipation. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like the thing that's going to help me finish. <laughs> um, Beautiful. It accompanies that closing scene so well. It does. There's not much else like it unless, you know, you go and watch yeah. Captain Phillips. <laughs> yeah, there's actually quite a lot like it, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd also like to just finally highlight a really gorgeous cover of Time on YouTube by um, Eero Nareff, who mm. performs it on a 12-string guitar. haunting and i think it demonstrates the power of the piece all right paul what's your favorite bit of film sound ever oh well it's not not good enough for you is it <laughs> nolan boy <laughs> putting it at number two like a shite yeah Spit in the face. even better than that somehow <laughs> it's the hobbit meets dances with wolves <laughs> me the lord of the rings The old of it. We've, we've, we've been here before when we're talking about our top tens, yeah. the light motifs, mm. the, th- the most recognisable theme in soundtrack mm. history, and the evolution of them as they progress through yeah. the film's three soundtracks, mm. which, which are almost as long as the film itself. Mm. Um, almost every second of this movie is <laughs> these movies yeah. are scored. I think if we're talking about the the need sometimes for a soundtrack to assume the role of characters to tell a story in, in its own right. That's what this soundtrack does for me. Yeah. With the use of light motifs and 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 recurring themes, you you know as long as you know which ones are which, yeah. You know you know where the characters are, whether mm. they're in in peril or triumphant, based on the permutation of their theme at that moment. Mm. You can you could easily just listen to this. It it, it could be an opera. It could be mm. a, cl- a genuinely classical piece that's telling a mm. story. Yeah. It, it it doesn't actually need the film. It just so happens <laughs> that the film is one of the greatest cinematic events of all time also yeah i can listen to any moment of this and recall vividly which footage fits which piece Mm. uh i i can hear tracks like uh concerning hobbits yeah
and my heart will fucking break because it's the yeah. sweetest thing in the world and it I think is. of the fate that's going to befall all of these sweet sweet half boys yeah the first time we hear the Riders of Rohan mm, that's a great piece The flag breaks away at Edoras. So sad and desolate, and it is. you think of the tr- the triumphs and the the misfortune that will come later. Mm. It has everything for me. Um, yeah, it's cool. I'll let you talk about it before getting into my sure. Um, we should say it's Howard Shaw composing. Um, yes, and it, it is a sublime work. Classic FM regularly plays concerning hobbits and the Council of Elrond, and every time I recognise mm. it, it it brings a tear to my eye. It's it's like coming home. It, it has that impact yeah. on me, and it's it's so robust that soundtrack it's action it's horror but more impressively than anything else it's the definitive use of leitmotif in film hmm. it uses uh, themes in varied ways to tell the story of the film it's mysterious and playful it uses fictional languages to gorgeous effect yeah it's just a masterpiece and it's it's good enough to force movie music to change afterwards just to avoid stepping on its colossal argonoff sized toes yeah agreed my favorite would mm. uh it took a bit of researching because it wasn't it's not on the uh mainstream mm. release of the return of the king soundtrack but mm. it's on the complete recordings which is yeah. the full three and a half hours <laughs> if you're interested it's the battle of the pelinor fields oh, um it's 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 the final mm. triumphant version of the riders of rohan theme as they're mm. charging and the way the way it builds as bernard hill king is giving his speech to yeah. the riders of rohan and then it goes it's it's almost cautious um, um, reprisal of the theme as the yeah. horses pick up speed, yeah. and as they ga- and as they gather speed, and the- and you start to fully appreciate the the force they're bringing to this battle, the whole piece just becomes more rousing, and more of everything enters yeah. enters the picture, and and the final few blasts of the, the horn strings, brass, everything before they clash with the orcs is so fucking exhilarating. My favourite piece was the Council of Elrond. No, you just said it was meant to play on classic FM. Well, it is. It's it's a beautiful piece, and I think it's the beginning of the Fellowship theme at the end when we all sort of come together. It's a fabulous piece that also just acts as a little taster for some of the the rest. I think it might also be in there where you get the really sad rendition moment of the um, theme of Gondor, which is one of the more heartbreaking pieces. Oh, it's sublime. The whole thing is sublime. It's definitive. Yeah, that's the only way to describe it, really. <laughs> Okay, I think we're done. Good luck sampling all of that, future me. Yeah, you twat. Paul, why don't you tell the ladies and gents about all the places they can find us, though never Spotify, because we didn't pay to use any of that. Nope. Um, <laughs> this is but the episode also, that sends we... us to jail. <laughs> also, why don't oh! we talk about the OGT? I forgot about the OGT. OGT. Team. 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 Wasn't in the top ten.
Ah, too bad, OG team. You're in the void now. <laughs> oh no! Look out for Andrew. That's how we get you. Oh fuck. Okay. Full starts podcast. Mm. Just sent us a gif of purple rain. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. So, f- thanks for that. That's how to troll us in style. No, but excellent. Good, good choice. Blokebusters podcast. Now they've given us, uh, they've given us Sing Street and School of Rock, which I guess we will cover when we do musicals in, uh, in later musical things. We'll have to think of a way of doing a list of like musicals. But also movies where the music is diegetic, but also maybe movies where actual songs are used. Because if if we allowed soundtracks where pre-existing songs were in it, then Kick-Ass mm. would have to be way high up on this fucking thing, because that's great. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe that's two different lists. We'll have a think. Well, following that, mm. Smash Trave said Kingsman. And Ooh. again, that would also fit in <laughs> with that future list yes. of, um, with Freebird. We should so. have explained scores better in our initial tweet. Well, I did say original movie soundtracks of all time. Mm. So Yeah, you know. what original should have. But anyway, these are really good suggestions. Sing Street in yeah. particular is fantastic. Video Negative seconds that about Sing Street. Yep. Drive it like you stole it. Okay, Jen Blundell says, hey. definitely all the Lord of the Rings soundtracks. Yay. Just the music is enough to make me blubber. The soundtrack to my favourite film, A Little Princess, is also excellent. The Harry Potter films have cracking music too. Yeah. And then, if you count them, like all the Disney films, <laughs> uh, yeah. which we'll get into uh, later yeah. date, I guess. Fantastic. Because it's, it's musicals. Yep, Lord of the Rings. I think she said Flubber. All great. All really good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there are also a few films, Dances with Wolves, Saving Private Ryan, etc., yeah. that I don't know the music of super well, but they have one or two pieces that I know are superb. Yeah, yeah there's a great piece. Oh, what, what's... um? There is a piece from Dances with Wolves, and it's the guy's name, John... Something's theme. I'll look that up whilst you carry on. Anna Maria Linhard said, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, because of the breathtaking landscapes paired with beautiful music. Life as a House, because it introduced me to the 2000 version of Both Sides Now. The Mission, because Gabriel's oboe is maybe the most beautiful single melody ever. Because Thank the songs you. are so fun. Thank you, Moacony. Very true, Moana. Yep, that's going to be yeah. very high, pro- highly featured when we talk about musicals. Yes. Um, God, yeah. Crouching Tiger. Lin Manuel Miranda is going to be. We're going to be Fuck. playing Lin Manuel Miranda bingo. I'm sure. <laughs> um, yes, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was um, Tan Dun, who uh, also did the music to Hero, which is my own particular love. Oh, but... great. Yeah, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is a fantastic soundtrack. Really beautiful. Okay, Christopher Bond. I always always read that as Mr. Black (laughs) in my head. Christopher Bond. John Dunbar theme. That's what it's called. Dances with Wolves. Oh, okay. He said, Tron Legacy. Oh, brother, where art thou, if it counts? Ah, mm. 
We'll get there. We'll get into it. A fistful yeah. of Dollars and The Godfather. Good, Good choices. Yeah. Fistful of Dollars is a fucking excellent piece. I'll have sampled a bit earlier, but yeah, I have another one. <laughs> you pricks. <laughs> Tom Brown said Dead Man Ooh. by Neil Young. Yes, uh, the Jim Jarmusch which, film. I know he's fond of it. Yeah, which I haven't seen, so mm, I should, nor have I. should. I missed out on seeing it. I can't remember why, but I was due to see it with him actually. So this oh. might be a fuck you to me. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great actually. Knowing Tom, well-known nice man, is probably a big <laughs> fuck you to you. Nicest you man freak. in the world. He's probably hijacked this podcast in order to. Absolutely slay me. <laughs> Sounds like the nicest man in the world, Tom Brown. Blade Runner by Vangelis. The Social Ooh. Network by Trent Reznor and Atticus yep. Ross. And Aguirre Wrath of God by oh, Popol Vuh. Oh, fantastic. Good Herzog usage there. You've out Herzogged us. Wow, I didn't know any of those words. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I haven't seen that God. one. Oh, man. That's a fantastic Herzog. That's his first collaboration with Klaus Kinski. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, then, I shall it's, watch Aguirre, Wrath of God. <laughs> no, um, it doesn't really spoil it to tell you that he ends the film on a raft full of monkeys, his crew having <laughs> abandoned him. It's very much like the Conquistador story from The Fountain, just on its own. Okay. Just with Klaus Kinski. Yeah, Klaus Kinski. Yeah, a lot of difference. Genuinely hitting people with swords. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Whose idea? Klaus is all Werners. Who even cares? Who can tell the difference? Um, Ellen Graham. What? Um, second baby beard to, to mm. contribute to this so-called podcast. Said, weirdly, the score for Casper 1995. Casper's lullaby theme literally can yes. make me cry any time I listen to it. <laughs> me too. Awesome. Yeah, it, it's really? really evocative. It's yeah. wonderful. I'll sample it here. It's, it, you know, it's it's after, when it kicks in after the line. Can't. Hmm? Can I keep you? <laughs> it's so sweet. It's fucking... Yeah, that that speaks to a childhood place right there. <laughs> you were right, both of you. <laughs> God damn you, Christina Ritchie. And kid who played Casper. Probably Hayley Joel Osment. Probably you know Macaulay him. Culkin, who gives a shit. <laughs> Fuck it. Also, she says, you can't get more video game mm. 8-bit ex-stompy than Scott Pilgrim. Ah, beautiful. <laughs> Cool. Who did the? Uh, let me check. I bet it was some. I bet it was you know Edgar Wright. I bet it was some trendy fucking British band you never heard of. Oh, yeah, they, they used to play in Brixton in a really good club. Actually, <laughs> um, not now. Obviously, it's come a bit popular, but you know, if you were there, yeah. very exciting time. If you were there, not like me. <laughs> not like me, Edgar Wright. He seems lovely. I don't know why I've ass- I don't know why I've assigned this sort of hipster quality. to <laughs> Oh, him. I thought you were doing Nigel- a thing. I thought you were doing a joke, <laughs> and you're going to set it up to be just some bloke. <laughs> nope, that was real. Uh, Nigel Godrick, who is better known for Radiohead. Oh, he got the he, he got he got a member of Radiohead. So fucking trendy that n- no one has even heard of him. Nope. <laughs> Should we have Greenwood or Tom York? Nope. Well, fucking 
Hang on, he's not even in the main lineup. Fuck, some people who like music out there are just tearing their hairs out. Why are they getting this all so wrong? <laughs> he didn't even, he was, he's not a part of Radiohead. He produced all of their studio albums since, okay. That, which is even cooler and more underground. Um, and one time he got to touch Tom York's... Uh, well, that explains guitar. why I didn't know him, because obviously I love Radiohead and I know everything about them. Sarah <laughs> Keep. Uh-huh. Thanks for the artwork. Said, um, Yay! Shawshank Redemption by Thomas Newman. Oh, God, yeah. That main theme of Shawshank Redemption as it pans over the prison is just breathtaking. Oh, yeah. Inside Out by Michael Giacchino. And Arrival by Johan yes. Hansen. Fantastic. What a fantastic trifecta there. Lastly but not leastly, Garden Tiger Art. Thanks for your lovely message mm. last time. Hello. Oh, yeah. Um, hello. No, you didn't correct me last time, Aideen. Thanks, mm. thanks for listening. Let's... <laughs> You looked over your shoulder there as if she might just be behind you. <laughs> I thought Nell might have been in here just going, you're an idiot. All of this Usually. was a mistake. Now, Aideen said, Amelie, yes, drive, yes. yes, call me by your name. But this is mainly for the Sophie and Stevens tracks, which I am obsessed with. It's understandable. They're fucking They're great. Fucking great. Yeah. Um, I think hands down... Visions of Gideon. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. I think hands down the one I listened to the most would be the drive soundtrack. Moody, edgy, dangerous. My nephews were seriously worried about me when I heard it playing in my car recently when I was driving them somewhere. so much i wonder if that is the original score by cliff martinez i think mm. or if it is sort of uh, some of those great songs they've yeah. got in there like nighthawks and nightcall um, my favorite one is uh, real, real nightcall that was it real human being real hero real hero is the name of the track i think oh, cool. um and a real hero real human being. Human being. and there's a ritz <laughs> track in there to bring it back to my weird creepy italian horror that oh, oh my love is uh ritz fantastic <laughs> full circle films are great scores are better <laughs> remember it in forever. conclusion did we do a thanks og team thanks og team Thanks everyone, that was great. OG Thank you so much for your contributions this week. It was fucking great. I can't do the really fast bit. <laughs> OG team, OG team, OG team, OG team, OG team, OG team. <laughs> Just don't do the Casper the Love I scene because it's going to get me blubbering again. Oh no, not flubbering. Oh, did it again. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of Spotify, we are actually going to be putting our favourite tracks up as a Spotify playlist if anybody yeah. is interested. We'll include it in the episode description, uh, in the tweet. Just listen up, you lovely <laughs> bastards. Um, as... <laughs> As for your Akira Requiem, would you like another one in its place? As Requiem doesn't seem to be on Spotify. 
Would you is like it not? Can- is any of it, is any of Akira on Spotify? Yes, we've got Canada's theme. We've got Tets Tetsuo. Tetsuo. I'll I'll have a think. It's probably okay. going to be Canada's theme. I'm really annoyed. Show show show, show isn't on there because yeah. that was that was fucking great. Oh, brilliant! At the end of this um, Akira soundtrack on Spotify, they've got The Avengers by Alan Silvestri and then Heroes yeah, by what Danny the fuck? Elfman. All right. <laughs> Idiot. Well, there you go. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you want to get in touch, you can do so on Twitter at OGT Pod, Facebook forward slash OGT Pod. You can send us an email on Gmail at OGTPod at gmail.com. If you want to leave us a review or if you would like to rate us on iTunes, that would be pretty blooming great, actually. We we need it to keep going, literally. So we subsist off the positivity of others. Keep watching the skies for the next call out to the OG team. I will try and get it on Facebook more often because we'll be getting some pretty thick, rich veins from that. Yes, we have very good very good stuff okay I'm Paul Salt I'm Paul Goodman and remember the one good thing about film scores is that they are bright proper music <laughs>